and he asked me to share this with you. He just he had just gotten back from the doctor's office and learned that he had torn a calf muscle. Therefore, I am on crutches, unable to drive, and not able to join in the morning. And uh, he also, as he shared with us last meeting, this was to be his last uh, one of our breakfasts that he was going to leave. Um, so you see he wasn't here today, but he said he will come in the future provided someone steps up and takes leadership for the group. So he's expecting at least one or two people to get in touch with him that are willing to uh, let him tell tell us what he does in you know preparing for the breakfast and then uh, taking the leadership for it. So uh, looking forward to at least three or four people coming up to me this morning or getting in touch with Tim directly because uh, this has been a good group. And we just need to uh, continue. Tim has been in this uh, role since 2013, so it's probably about time for him to take a break for a while. Um, again, we just need, and I've got his email address here if anybody needs it, as well as his phone number. One of the things that you've been hearing a little bit more about lately uh, is the Multiply event which is on Saturday morning, August 26th. And if I heard Tom correctly a few minutes ago, it's about inspiring us to serve. Uh, it's what that event will be. But uh, Tom will be speaking. Joe Saxton, who is an author, is being brought in to speak with us. And we will have Chapel Roswell and Tom Alderman. So we're going to have plenty of music. It'll be a worship experience. And since we're into breakfast, from 8 to 8.50, uh, we check in and there will be a catered breakfast, some spiced, ripe barbecue. I haven't eaten barbecue at breakfast, but I'm willing to try it. Uh, the coffee will be from a thousand, uh, the land of a thousand hills. And then if you want to stay after from noon until 1.00, We'll have a uh, lunch catered by Chicken Salad Chick. Are there any other announcements that we need to be aware of this morning? Okay. We have a uh, privilege to have a speaker this morning. Eric Stevens is going to be speaking with us. And I'm trusting your LinkedIn profile, by the way. Oh, I get what you sent me. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> Eric and his uh, wife, Cammie, and their two daughters are members here. And as you observe the choir on Sunday mornings, Eric is right up there every Sunday, Sunday at the 11 o'clock service. Eric graduated from Georgia Tech with a Ph.D. in aerospace. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about that with what you do today. But he's the founder and chief technology officer at Z Paper here in Roswell. And you can tell us where the name came from. Hmm. Uh, and now this is what he sent me. Eric is best known at RMC as Mr. Cammy Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> and he says we may know him from the choir. If you're not careful, he'll ask you to join too. He obviously has not heard me sing or try to sing. He says that. Uh, he's a preacher's kid. 
and a recovering rocket scientist. He may have set a record for number of schools attended by age 17 without expulsion. He once started a rumor and almost got school closed a week early. <laughs> so with that, Eric, I'm looking forward to hearing you. Thank you so much. I want to start by thanking uh, Doug for bailing me out here on the technology front. Uh, I got here and, th- you know, what I thought I was going to be set up to do didn't work right. So Doug found a way. Old technology works. Old technology works. I, uh, I want to thank several of you who might not have been to RUMC before the sun rises very often, and I appreciate you being here today. Um, I, uh, I've been looking forward to doing this. Um, I, I have a, a, it's a story that's interesting to me, and... I'm hoping this morning I can share a little bit of it with you and that if you find something that resonates with you, you know, I know it's a little early for an amen, but if you want to raise your hand, I won't call on you unless you raise your hand and wave. That will be my sign that, um, that um, I have appreciated being in the, in the men's group now for a, for a while. It's a safe place, and many men before me have come up here and told a little bit of their journey, and it always resonates with me, the things that we have in common and the things that are very different, right, and how we, we can learn from, from each other in that regard. I think it's important that men gather together and speak of things that they might not speak of normally, and it's safe in numbers like this. It's safe in small groups, and I appreciate the fact that this church has, for over 20 years, provided me some, some real safe harbor, and um, I'll share a little bit about that this morning. Um, I do, uh, I do like acronyms, um, and I, I needed an acronym, hopefully, to keep me on target um, this morning. We're going to see if I can run two technology stacks at the same time. The, um, I want to talk a little bit about how, how, how God has been preparing me, how I've been prepared. And I try and find, uh, you know, I try and make reason of things that sometimes don't always have reasons or don't. That's just my way. I'm an engineer at heart. And so, uh, you know, I may read more into things than I probably should. But um, it's interesting what, what, what brought me here. Um, my, my dad was raised Methodist, and uh, my mother was raised Baptist. So when they got married, they became Presbyterians. <laughs> my brother and I were raised Presbyterian. And so um, Cammie was raised Lutheran. So when Cammie and I met and got married, we became Methodist. My daughter's fiancé is Baptist, so she was raised Methodist, and he was raised Baptist. So I fully expect them to get married and have kids and raise them as Presbyterian. <laughs> and this is how I think the Protestant denominations keep, keep us all in the same set of franchises. And so um, I have always enjoyed the... Uh, the things that go along with being a preacher's kid. And it has had a profound effect on me. And um, I remember um, something something about that, the use of the word call changed for me when my dad was, I think, see Eric grinning just now. My dad was, my mom and dad were in the car. And I could tell they were using this word that I thought I understood, call. But they were using it in a way that made my mom much more emotional than she would normally be when talking about a telephone call. And so I began to understand, I was probably uh, fourth, fifth grade kind of time. I began to understand that having a purpose on your life that you feel the call for is, is transformative. 
And I believe we all experience a call, and today you're going to hear about parts of my life where I have felt called and in, in, in resonance with God in a way that's profoundly impacted me. Um, and it's it's looking for those purpose, looking for that call, and, 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 and seeking that out. You know, drives a lot of what I do. Um, that's sometimes the only explanation I can give to the people who are wondering, why did he just go and do that? And... Um, I, uh, so having a sense of purpose and a sense of call impacted me early, early on. Um, I had some other first experiences that um, that changed me, and I'll share a few of them. I'm trying to keep a little bit on. If I start to run way over, somebody will tell me, I'm sure. The um, when I was first uh, first time I first time I remember having a um, an experience with God was kind of an altar call. Uh, experience. We were uh, living in Atlanta. We'd moved to Atlanta for seminary, and um, I mowed grass all summer long so that I could raise enough money to go to Fun in the Sun, and it was a Presbyterian youth camp down on Jekyll Island. And um, I got to know my my youth minister a whole lot better that summer. He would occasionally take me out to lunch. I'd be mowing the church grass or someplace in the vicinity of the church. Funny how you can meet people through the church, mowed a lot of grass that summer. And he would take me to lunch, and I remember I could order whatever I wanted to order. And it was just this huge connection that I had with him. I've not tracked him down. I wonder where he is. Um, And that summer we got to go to the summer camp. And it was about a week away. You know, spent time away from your family and whatnot. And I remember one of the very first experiences I had had where I really did feel like I was no longer just by myself in my own head. Um, I believe there's a big difference between uh, something you can personally witness to and something you've heard secondhand. And so I had a firsthand experience. I mean, I'd been raised in the church. I'd always been around church. But when you have a firsthand experience where you feel there's something going on beyond your own ego and your own sense of uh, internal guidance, it, it changes you. And so this was, I don't know, day three, day four. And we would have a worship service at the end of the day. And I don't remember who preached or what the music was like or anything like that. But, you know, I felt mysteriously drawn to go to the altar. And here I am 35 years later. And having that firsthand experience changed me fundamentally then. And I, you cling back to that as other things happen in your life that may be harder for you to, you know, understand at the time. You need to be able to go back and, and really go back to the things you know to be true, um, that don't get eroded by time. Um, I had an experience first time I sang in church. Um, singing is a huge part of my life. It impacts almost every aspect of my life. And I could have really gotten off on the wrong track. I remember my mom was in the choir. I went to choir practice a lot, a little bit of kid. And somehow the youth were going to do something in church. I said, all right, that'll be okay. That'll be okay. And um, Sunday morning came, and we were all in church. And the strangest thing happened. Suddenly I realized it wasn't going to be the group singing. It was going to be just me. And I was like... But, you know, you're, you're confronted with this reality. And this is, I was probably seven or eight years old. Um, and that can turn you off from something forever. You can have a bad experience and, you know, but I didn't have a bad experience. I still remember that to this day. So that first time singing in church was, made, a, made an impression upon me. And it was, a, it was a good positive impression. I, um, 
So I think firsthand experiences are, are mean a lot to me. Um, my dad bought me my first computer. It was uh, a text. No, I'm sorry, a Timex Sinclair. Anybody remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the first $99 computer. Now, my birthday is right near Christmas, and so I complained, but not really, that I would get birthday and Christmas presents bundled together. And um, so for $99, he bought me my first computer, and we were living in Cairo, Georgia at the time. Cairo is a little town just north of Tallahassee. And so it was my dad's first church, and so I remember we would go to Tallahassee for Sunday lunch. And um, somehow for Christmas, I opened it up, and I had my first computer, and I remember the absolute mystery of, all right, there was this programming language, and it was built into it, and it was 10, X is equal to X plus 1, 20, print X, 30, go to 10. And I studied that, and I changed certain things to see what it would do, and it was an absolutely experimental uh, world opening for me. So I have made my living trying to get computers to do things that other people thought were useful. Um, it started out at that $100 computer. And, you know, when you're, you know, you're a kid, you don't really have any money, and computers tend to be expensive toys. And so I learned a very early skill early on when I sold my first computer so that I would have money to buy my second computer. Now, it's really been a trail of tears. For years, I would buy and sell computers right as the company that sold them to me was going to go out of business. So I had a Timex Sinclair. I had a Texas Instruments. I had a Coleco Atom. You know, I had all these things, and you're like, they don't make computers anymore, do they? Um, but it was a great experience for me. It really paved the way for me to learn how to connect to people wherever they were because I can take the parts, make it do something useful, and then you might not want to go buy it new, but I can show you how it does something useful for you. And learning how to build relationships with people all around that has really set a foundation for me all the way through. Um, there was a member of our church um, in the choir. I sang in the adult choir because there was no kids' choir on a regular basis in Cairo. And so I got to be around adults a lot. And I've always kind of gravitated to talking to adults as if I were an adult. Still not sure that I qualify as an adult, but as the hair gets grayer and the kids get older, you know, you, you get grandfathered. Not allowed to use that word right now. Uh, you get grandfathered into, you get grandfathered into being an adult. Um, and his name was John Wright. And, um, he lived in Chattanooga, but worked in, in Cairo. I don't really remember what he did. But the way he got to Cairo was he had a little airplane. And so he, um, Sang in the choir, so that was that was the common thread. And I, I I don't know how I realized he had an airplane, but we lived not far from the little Cairo airport. And so I got to go flying with him. And it was my first experience in an airplane. Planted a seed early on that someday I wanted to, to be a pilot. And so these experiences really crystallized in me at an early age that if you want to do something badly enough, find a way to do it. Work towards it. Um the, the choir director uh, at the church turned out to be my high school band director. And so over the years, I've had real relationships with people who have been involved in music. And his name was Doyle Thornton. I remember to this day. Uh, I have no idea where he is in either. I guess I should look these people up on Facebook. But he was both our choir director and our band director. And so I got to see him both, you know, at his day job and on his weekend job. And getting to know the people who produce music behind the scenes is a, you know, is a career decision. Because there's a lot to what you see when a concert is produced. 
And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that uh, you probably don't want to know how the sausage is made. Um, and so I, between my dad being a minister and having these, these relationships with people who have a behind-the-scenes role, I probably had a real thick skin early on with what, uh, with what, with what has to be done in order for good things to happen for other people. Um, it was really strange, the uh, experience of moving around a lot. Uh, some of that was we moved to Atlanta for Dad to go to seminary, and then he had a church. So I think altogether I went to 10 schools before I went to Georgia Tech, or maybe Georgia Tech was the 10th school. Um, and every time you move, you get the opportunity to make new relationships with people. So having relationships has really been the the driving factor for 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 who I am as a person. I uh, I kid my dad sometimes. Um, we have a shirt that says "Tell me your story," and and it, you you have it on. You don't realize you have it on. You're in the darndest places, and people will tell you their story. They want to tell you their story, and there's something that comes from hearing somebody else's story um, that is both important and cherished to them. It's their art. It's the art of who they are. And I never failed to learn something about me by finding out about something that happened to somebody else. And so many of you in this room have been willing to share something that happened to you with me. And I appreciate the trust that that shows. And, um, you know, to me it builds up the, the art of life when you, you, you have these pictures of what's going on in other people's lives. And those relationships... Um, really do draw me uh, into a kind of relationship with other people. And I think the, the attraction that you feel, that magnetism that you feel in wanting to be connected to other people is one of the ways we experience God. Um, we're not meant to just be super intelligent beings all by ourselves. I think sometimes that's why God created us. He didn't want to be by himself. And when we're made in his image, that's part of what that means, that we want to be in connection with each other. And what draws us into connection are, you know, oftentimes activities. Um, the activities that have pulled me together have involved almost always technology, and then after technology it was music, and then after music it turned into work. And now it turns into flying. I was connecting this, this morning with, with Tom, and I said, I was at the Calhoun County Airport the day it was announced he was coming here. And um, I was there for a fly-in, my first fly-in that I'd ever gone to, and it was at the Tom B. Davis Airport, which is the Calhoun County Airport. I think I have that right. And in the conference room, there is a picture of, a, you know, I guess the Tom B. Davis. Um, and so I wondered if that was a family member. Turns out it's not. Turns out it's not. But I have learned over and over again that the things that you do give you a way of just connecting to people in a way that's it's like you've known them for a long time, but you've only known them for five minutes because you have those experiences with them. Um and so it's it's been interesting, the relationships that I think back over 35 or 45 years, uh, the ones that have really triggered me, I refer to them as the gyms. Um, the, the first gym was Jim Craig. Um, when, I, when I finally made it to Georgia Tech, um, I ended up meeting the man who would ultimately become my, my graduate advisor. But I didn't meet him in that capacity. I met him in the capacity as he was the person responsible for the computers in the aerospace engineering department. And he was the director of the KCAD Center, uh, computer-aided design, computer-aided engineering. Um, and I got to know him because I was the Apple student rep. Um, I could never afford things, but I could convince sometimes institutions to give me things. Um, 
when you, uh, Apple, so this was the time where the Mac 2 first came, the first color Mac came out. And I was working at the computer store because I knew how to, to do that. And um, I somehow got to know the current Apple student rep. Um, and his name was Alan Brand. And it's interesting, reconnected with him this year. And I got to know Apple. And through that, I got to know a bunch of other people. Um, I got to meet Steve Jobs once. Um, interesting to be in close proximity to people that have lived a very different life and have been shaped by a lot of different things. But I met Jim Craig as the Apple student rep and helping them set up a computer lab. I never took a class from him. I never had any class that he ever taught. But we connected at a level, and he was just the right kind of advisor for me. Um, I, I could do the research that he needed to have done, and he gave me the space to explore things that interested me that resonated with other work that he was doing. I could not have found, could not have picked out a better advisor for me. And so I really feel like God has placed key people in my path along the way that have had a profound impact on me. His birthday is, uh, his birthday is February the 13th. So I, I try and always call and kid him about something. I, I defended my PhD on Friday the 13th. And so anytime there's a Friday the 13th, I kind I kind of celebrate a little bit. Um, it's, it was a, it was a funny day to be trying to schedule. When you try and schedule meetings where you gotta have five people and they travel, blah, 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 you take any day you can doggone get. And so, um, the 13th has, has, has sort of a special, special meaning for me. Um, so the relationships I've built out over the years, uh, have, a lot of them have come from music. Uh, that first band director, choir director person set the stage for, uh, Greg and, 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 uh, Greg and Sue at George Tech. Um, I I got to George Tech. I was uh, uh, a little younger than I probably should have been to be put into to, to Ma Tech. She can grind you out pretty good if you're not careful. Um, and because I sang, I found a group of people who were not I was not in normal class with. It was helpful for me. And um, lo and behold, um, through Greg, uh, who's the director, and Sue, the accompanist, we got to make profoundly beautiful music together. And along the way, I met the woman who would become my wife. And we were doing a summer choir, and it was going to go tour in Virginia. Um, we sang at whatever, Duke Cathedral, and then we drove up into West Virginia. We, it was the, um, Henshaw Music is one of the, you know, music companies that puts out anthems. You've heard Henshaw music stuff from the choir. And every summer they put together basically a touring company that will go premiere, um, certain pieces of music. And Greg Colson has had a relationship with, with Mr. Henshaw. And so he put together a choir. And it was a mixture of Georgia Tech people, his church choir people, and other professional musicians. And so we did these rehearsals. And I'd never met Cammie at the normal rehearsals. But somehow we ended up a part of this summer choir. And we started dating. And um, a lot of good good has come from that. The... Um, but I would have never, I would have never been in that choir doing that music had that band director, that choir director in that Cairo church not planted the seeds. When we moved from Cairo to Cuthbert, so Cairo's near Tallahassee, Cuthbert is in the middle of between Albany and Columbus. There's not much in the middle, and in the middle of that, not much of nothing is is Cuthbert. I think they now have one stoplight. Um, but it was a great, it was a great place for me to spend a year. Um, 
Andrew College is a Methodist school that is there, and that's really kind of the the hub. And they didn't have a choir in the high school, so we moved there. And I, I was like, what am I going to do? I went to the band, and the, I had, uh, you know, the, the band wasn't a good fit for me, and there was no choir at the high school. And um, I somehow got connected to the community college, the Andrew College there. And a man by the name of Ward Gailey says, you know, I know you're not in- enrolled, and I know, you know, but if you want to go be a part of uh, the Allstate program um, for singing, you got to have a sponsor, and you got to have a choir director who will sponsor you to do that. And so he stepped out and kept me in music, or I would have probably stopped singing in in Cuthbert and, and missed a whole generation of, of stuff that has made a lot of difference to me. Um, so... The relationships that have come out of out of music are are profound. Um, a big part of what brought us to Roswell, what brought us to this church, was Cami and I were looking for a music program, and uh, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for Michael and Tom. That's what that's what introduced us to the group. Um, now we've got these amazing relationships with people over the last twenty years. That but what brought us here originally was the music, um, and. Um, I see how now those musical uh, activities put me in relationships that prepared me for other things. Um, at, at Georgia Tech, I learned a, a really important lesson for me. Almost isn't isn't good enough. Uh, there's a big part of me that's a you know challenge response kind of guy. I need a challenge, and then I'll get into that conquer it mode. You can abandon a lot of what God means for you when you do that. You get very driven by your your agenda. And um, God has occasionally sent me lessons that has made me take take a step back and realize this is not going to go the way you anticipated. Maybe it will go okay anyway. Um, and I, I kind of contrast it here. It's stress of things can temper you, can make you uh, can make you stronger on the other side. But it's it's grace that saves you from your own you know from your own desires to be everything you would like for yourself to be. Um, when you when you work on a PhD, there's two parts really to it. One is a research, you write a paper, dissertation, whatever you want to call it. Um, the other part is you take qualifiers. And when you take qualifiers, every school is a little different. At Georgia Tech, it is a it's 100% oral, so you pick three at the time different topics that you were going to be judged. Are you qualified to teach it at the undergraduate level? That's really what the notion of qualifiers is. And um, I, because of my research was kind of out there, it was in computational environments. It was not the traditional aerospace research. But you still have to take qualifiers in the traditional aerospace stuff. It's part of the rite of passage. And so my qualifiers were involved in fluid dynamics and other things like that. And uh, you pick three, and are basically three hour and a half long oral exams, two professors and a whiteboard, and you prepare for months and months and months. You study stuff. You you know it's 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 a big deal. And um, the rules at Georgia Tech are you must pass all three. If you don't pass all three, then you get one more attempt to pass all three six months later or something like that. If you don't pass all three the second time. You get to go try again someplace else and do something else. And so um, I had this vivid memory of God sort of resetting. You know, everything was going sort of perfect. You know, beautiful marriage, graduate school's working out, everything's going great. And um, I was prepared. I'd studied. I'd worked hard. Uh, I understood the material. Ego. 
Ego is uh, something that I, I fight with on a regular basis. And I remember vividly on the third exam, it was uh, has to do with uh, boundary layer theory. And I could tell now they were trying to help me. They were trying to help me hear their question in a way that I would give the answer that they were looking for. But I had my own answer, and I was confident about it. And I had already, I know it, the other two had gone perfectly well. And they tried to help me. And, you know, there was a concept I'd missed. And so I didn't pass that that third one. And so I remember being really grateful it was a 007 week. There was a lot of James Bond on TBS that week. I watched a lot of James Bond that week as I just recoiled from the fact that, you know, uh, I've been to, done a lot of things, a lot of school, a lot of preparation, and bam, uh, you know, a proverbial train wreck on my otherwise uh, perfect uh, flight on whatever it was I was trying to accomplish. And so um, for the next three to six months, I had to really reset and go back. And now not everybody's taking qualifiers. Now the only people who were taking qualifiers are the people who didn't pass the first time. Um, I ended up passing the second time. And, you know, it's been a formative thing for me to go through because it didn't go the way I wanted it to the first time. Um, there are a lot of things like that that don't always go the way you want them to the first time. And there's some discernment, that I think, that goes on for me on whether or not that's God telling me to you need to go a different way or God challenging me, no, you need to do this anyway. And, and, and you know, if you've got any answers to that, let me know. I find, I, I find prayer is helpful for that. For me, music, as I was, as you were coming in, um, I sort of did a playlist of songs that have impacted me over, over the years. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see what different, um, what different approaches there are to to music and what resonates with me. Music's always the thing that drives me. I got into this ready, aim, go mode early, early on. I am a, a beg forgiveness, not ask permission kind of guy. And I have to think it came from always starting all those new schools. You had to be the one to reach out. You had to be the one to initiate relationships. You 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 got a lot of, uh, of first impressions to go through. And you kind of figured if it didn't work out here, well, you're going to move again and you can try it again later. And there's a little bit of that experimental nature that makes you willing to step out, uh, step out on faith in yourself, step out on faith in the people that they're not trying to hurt you. But they're human, too, and they've got their own set of things. Um, so I, I think Georgia Tech, if it taught me nothing, it taught me that it is important to try to do things that, that, that matter to you. Um, somehow we ended up in Roswell. Um, I, I worked hard to I, I, to not have to travel. I enjoyed the Atlanta area. When you move that much, you finally want to get a house and stay there. So we're in the very first house that we, we purchased uh, in Roswell. We were one of the first immigrants. When 400 opened up into downtown, we were like in the first you know 50 people up 400 to say, hey, there are houses up here, right? And so um, we've been here a long time, and we've seen Roswell change. But uh, moving up to Roswell was, was absolutely the right thing for us to do. It's provided a great environment for our family. It's provided a great environment for a business that, that I continue to try and nurture. And so, you know, was really grateful that the uh, the ready, set, aim, or ready, ready, aim, go got me to Roswell at the right time and that we've not had to pick up and move and move and move and move. Um, the um, hardest part, I think, for me probably came first uh, with some sickness and in health issues. We say everybody probably saves that in the marriage vows these days. 
um, you, you think about the in health part. You, you're not really focusing on the in sickness part. I was uh, 35 and in the choir and um, had cleaned out the basement. I had a big, big uh, trash can of books and I was dragging it to the side of the road for the trash guys to pick it up. And I was going to meet somebody for lunch. Felt good, right? I'd done my weekend project, had my books. I was cleaning up. And I felt a little funny on the way back from the curb. Our driveway is sort of up a hill. And I uh, went to go get cleaned up. Felt a little funnier. Not feeling right. So I, I got out of the shower and uh, got dressed. And I, I called the guy. I said, no, I'm not feeling real well. I'm not, I need to postpone lunch. And... Um, just started feeling really, really odd, uh, tingling and stuff like that. And um, the next call was to my next-door neighbor, who I had worked with on several things, and I knew she had medical training. And I said, hey, Patty, um, I might need to be taken to the hospital. I just feel really weird. And I remember the the inability to how hard it was to dial the numbers. Um, and she came and picked me up, and I started giving her directions to North Fulton. Um, and by the time we were getting close to North Fulton, I couldn't give her directions about where to go turn because we'd gone the back way because that would be faster, right? Um, and so I was suffering from what for all intents and purposes was a stroke. Um, 35-year-olds and stroke, not really expected. Um, we got there, and I remember very vividly not being able to, to speak um, little bit, but certainly not able to talk the way I'm talking to you right now. Circumstances passed within about two hours. It's a, it was a, a temporary thing. Um, we later found out, we later found out that I had a birth defect in my carotid artery. See, I didn't cut myself shaving. I had this professionally done. Um, <laughs> and it had thrown a clot. And this birth defect throwing a clot, you know, created a stroke. Um, I was very grateful that my recovery was quick and, you know, virtually complete. Um, and it taught me that you have to stop living five years in the future about what you're going to do in five years or going to do when you retire. We talk about daily bread. Um, it's not the food. That's daily bread of what, what's in your life, right? And so I went from being intensely career-driven, always thinking about what I was going to do when I turned 40 or 45 or now 50 is on the horizon, into what am I doing right now to make certain that I'm really living the life that God prepared me to live? And how do you get with that? Well, little did I know that my preparation for that was uh, was really preparation for something much larger. Um, we have two children, and um, Mary, our youngest, uh, just is about to start her second year at George Tech. Her older sister, um, Catherine, is um, has my personality, poor thing, and um, fortunately she has her mother's looks and her um, some many talents from her mother's. But she is a first child and is a go getter. I think that we thought she was crazy her junior year when she took like four AP courses and all the stuff that she was doing, and we thought, well, you, you say you can do it, we'll back you. But we thought she was crazy her junior year when she went out and did all this. Um, the beginning of her senior year. Um, I was out of town. It was my mother's 70th birthday. And um, I got a text that night. A call call, call came in first um, that Cammie had taken uh, Catherine to the hospital, and I needed to get back. Um, she'd been at dance class, 
and had the good sense to call her mom to bring her home. She didn't need to drive. And she went from communicating to not communicating to being being non-responsive by the time Kami ended up driving her to Scottish Rite. Uh, the right surgeon was there. He'd been called back twice already that night. He'd been home twice to intervene and to help. Um, she'd had a, a brain bleed, a birth defect that she'd been born with, where um, the arteries and the veins grow together kind of like a, like a prune. And then when they suddenly hemorrhage in your brain, uh, oftentimes it's something that you discover after someone has died. Um, and... We, all we knew was that she had an AVM and I needed to get back. I had noticed, crazily enough, I flew up to Oak Island where my parents live, and I had looked up on the board as I walked in, oh, look, they have a 6 a.m. flight back to Atlanta on weekdays. I don't know why I would noticed that. But I knew when I called them Sunday night that there was a way for me to get home quickly on Monday morning. And so, you know, you don't ask them how much it costs. You just say, can you get me on this plane? And so by 8 o'clock Monday morning, uh, we were all at Emory, um, and Catherine was in, you know, an induced coma. Man, we, uh, we, we didn't know what was going to come out of that. Um, I have vivid memories of, you know, all the wires and all the tubes and all the things that go in there to keep your child uh, alive. Um, the... Uh, we spent, you know, we spent a month in the hospital. One of us would sleep there, or both of us would sleep there. We would take turns. It was that kind of experience. And, you know, you feel like sometimes God has to break your heart for it to be big enough for whatever he's got planned next. I say that, um, I, I say that, and it, it, it affected me so profoundly. There was such an outpouring of love from this church as our family went through this we didn't know what was going to happen. We just knew that what we were in the moment and we were going to, we were going to go through this. Um, there was a time where she was awake enough finally and you could tell she was wondering, why are you doing this to me? And it breaks your heart when your child hurts. They're just desperate for whatever intercession you can give them. But out of that, it becomes what's, it becomes so much clearer what, what's really important. Um, God gave her back to us. Her, um, her spirit of, uh, if I thought she was unstoppable beforehand, you know, knowing that she should have died and seeing her recovery has convinced her that she's, you know, she's never gonna not try and do something again because she has at age, you know, what, 18, um, come face to face with the reality that that might have been it for her. And now she approaches life with a, a degree of vigor and a degree of certainty that you, um, you know, you don't find very often. Um, and so a year later, all that crazy uh, AP work had paid off. Her senior year, she did the half year at home. Um, she was on the radio when she was finally getting recertified to be able to drive. If you met her today, you'd have no idea any of this had gone on for her. Um, it's a beautiful story. We, we had a blood drive at the church during while she was still in the hospital. And, you know, the people were very kind. And, you know, some people gave blood. Because sometimes that's all you can do is to do something good that might benefit somebody else. Um, there was a lot of food. One thing that, that helped me stay sane during that period of time 
was um, uh, I'm in a quartet. Most of the members are here today. And one of the first normal things we started to do once we kind of went from our everyday, all day in the hospital to taking turns in the hospital was um, I, I resumed rehearsal. That's part of where I go to get grounded. And um, there was a song that we ended up working on. Um, it's a lullaby by Billy Joel. We ended up getting to sing it for a graduation party. And so it meant a lot to me just to have those moments of it's going to be okay. Yeah, I'll... Uh, I'll be happy to send you a copy of it. It was kind of playing in the background earlier. It may be about to play in the background. Um, but when you sing a lullaby to your child, it um, it's a parental it's a parental uh, it's a parental moment. That doesn't matter if they can reciprocate it or not. It's just the fact that you love them with everything that you are. And I really do believe that those feelings come directly from God. When we feel like, when we talk about love and our capacity to love and our ability to love and our desire to love and our desire to be love, all of that comes from the fact that we're made in his image. And and there is a reflection of, of that. And um, it's kind of crazy that it, that it took, you know, almost losing a child for me to realize that. Me, me almost having a stroke wasn't enough to do it. Um, so I, I, I hope whatever else God has planned, he's more subtle about it in the future. Um, so in sickness and in health, um, um, I, I'm a planner. I've got lots of plans. I'd be happy to tell you about them at length. Um, but God has a capital B, big P plan. I had a plan, um, probably two years ago now. The room was arranged differently. Mike Miller was uh, the one speaking. I don't know if we hear that. Anybody else was here that day? Um, and I'd known Mike. Mike and I resonated because I liked physics and he liked physics. And he was a preacher and I was a preacher's kid. And we would argue about stuff and discuss stuff. It was it was great. Um, and he, uh, uh, I'd planned to talk to him after that and said, look, I'd really like to kind of do a Bible study with you something. I'd seen his small group at the um, Thumbs Up Diner. I thought of it as the adult table. And the small group I was in was kind of like the kids table. Um, there's at least one of them here this morning. Um, and um, I really wanted to get to know Mike better. That was going to be my 2000 and, what would that be, 2016 plan was to get to know Mike better. There was a book that he was reading about grand unification, basically God's universe, the physicist's universe, and how it all can fit together. That was really, there are not many nuclear physicists who were also deep biblical scholars, and, and Mike was one of those people. So I had a plan to get to know Mike a whole lot better that year. Um turned into a very different plan, and I got to know Mike and his family a whole lot different that year as he went in for what was probably supposed to be routine surgery, and he had a stroke, and they went through six months-ish of, of uh, tough times in their life, and the preparation of, of my stuff and Catherine's stuff, you know, put me in a place that I could spend time with them in a way that was... I felt qualified to do. I felt drawn to do. Um, I snuck in. The quartet allows you to go places you, you otherwise can't get into. Um, the quartet is the smallest, most portable version of the choir. Sometimes it's the way I think about it. And we can get around the bedside, and we can go places where people, uh, you can't bring the choir. And over the years, the quartet has both saved me from my own internal thoughts. When you're singing, you don't think about a whole lot of other stuff. 
you need activities in your life where when you're doing them, you're not thinking about all the other stuff. And singing for me is one of those places that I can get in the zone. Um, and um, over the years, uh, the quartet has given me, those relationships have given me access to people in, in places that are, uh, you, you wouldn't want to be invited, but you feel like you need to be there. Um, and getting to know Mike differently that year was God's plan. It was not my plan. And I, I talked to Dolores yesterday because I knew I was going to be sharing this. And just to have an excuse to catch up with her. When you see, um, when you see a marriage that those, this one, the spouse is gone, it's a very different path that they're now on. And so it's a pleasure. Plus, preacher's wives, I, I have a, you know, my mom's a preacher's wife. And therefore, I have a whole special category. If a preacher's wife asks me to do something, it's, it's always going to get done. It's just, uh, part of the tribute that comes along from being a preacher's kid. So over the years, I've learned that God's plan and my plan do not have to, uh, I don't have to understand his plan and he's not against my plan. Um, the church reorganized, uh, schedule wise a couple of times and, uh, really disrupted the choir. The choir used to sing in two services. Sunday school class was in the middle. And when we changed all that, it, it opened up the opportunity to create a Sunday school class. And really that's the other small group that I'm a part of that continuously feeds me and provides me a, a place to, to, to interact. Um, you know, that's, that's God's plan, not my plan. And I've just learned to be grateful whenever, um, there are things that come along that I don't really understand, but that, um, that, that work. Um, the um, hardest part for me, I think, is I'm not responsible. I have to be certain level responsible. I, I have a small business. Um, there's a certain number of families who depend upon me be fairly responsible and not doing stupid stuff. Um, and I take that seriously. It's, uh, I'm grateful to have that opportunity. The, um, I learned from Brett DeHart. He gave a, a Bible study I don't know, five, six years ago maybe, around the, the fountains overflowing. And the idea is that you should just overflow and, and, and you're not responsible for everything else. You just, you, you need to overflow and trust God will, will, will fill in those gaps. It has, it has released me from always having to know everything before I start something, always needing to know the outcome. When I think about planting seeds lavishly, it, that comes to mind. But, um, I would not have, uh, I would not have learned that had I not struggled when my plan didn't work out. So now my goal is if I'm being a good disciple and doesn't matter what your franchise is, um, it's going to work out. I try not to let being a disciple get in the way of being a Christian, be in the way of being a Methodist. But if I have to be careful, I, I try and make certain that whatever the politics of the day are, I've really enjoyed some of Eric's sermons this last year that brought some issues up to the table. It gave me a lot of excuses to talk to a lot of people about what's going on at church in a way that was non-confrontational. Um, I have learned through that that every day is, is, is what we're intended to treat as precious. Every time you get to interact with somebody, there's that chance that that's going to be something other than how's the weather. Um, I was talking to Dolores yesterday, and she took a moment, and she asked me, Eric, are you okay? It was so direct, and I, I just, I was, it was like, we're talking on the phone. She couldn't see my body language, and so I made, I, I made a real self-evaluation. All right, I asked her, what about this situation has caused you to ask that question? At the same time, I thanked her for being so direct. I think often 
you know, we don't trust our instincts. I think God plants lots of impulses in us that are really good and profound, and you have to trust that if you act on them, it will be okay. Um, as opposed to, you know, always having to know exactly how it's going to all work out in order to start things. And so even yesterday I was reminded that, you know, each and every day is, is precious. And, um, you know, we're all, uh, we all fill our lives with stuff to do. I, I don't know that it's always the right stuff. Uh, you can spend your whole day in psychoanalysis about what you did and what they did and why you did it and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, take the, take the pleasure out of your, your, your existence. Um, God puts pleasure in my existence on a regular basis. He does it through music. Um, there were times when we would leave the hospital. One of us would be driving here, or maybe be in the, not in the same car. Does anybody else here sing in the car? No? Uh, yes, yeah, somebody sings a car. Um, I don't know what people thought in the other cars around me, but occasionally God would put a song on the radio or on Pandora. I, I swear sometimes he can does a great playlist for me. And it would resonate with me in such a way that it would reset everything else that was going on. And um, it was not secondhand spirit. It was firsthand spirit. Um, there's a pleasure that comes from being in connection with each other. And there's a pleasure that comes from a firsthand being in, in connection with God. Um, when you experience that, for me it was that altar call when I was, you know, 12 years old. And I, I knew that taste. Um, sometimes it's we're singing an anthem, and I know what's happening is so much bigger than what any one of us is doing, all added together. It, it, some of it's coached out of us by Michael and Tom, but boy, oh boy, a lot of it is God having planted that in that music, in those people, and we do that together, and that's worship for me. And so um, I want to challenge you to ask yourself a bunch of people who God put on my path. I didn't get around to the other two gyms. I don't know. You're playing these talks, and then, then you get in the moment. Um, there's a heavenly trio that taught me to be a disciple first, and God will take care of the rest. Um, one of them is still living, and she goes to church here. She lost her son on his way home from college. I was president of the choir at the time and slated to do the devotional that week. Um, I've had more choirs canceled on nights I was supposed to do the devotional than anybody else. I know, that's just the way I see it. Snowstorms, this, that, and you wouldn't believe what God does. I have this great devotional plan for the end of the world, um, and God canceled choir because of snow or something like that. Um, but Penny Foner is one of those living saints. Um, when you see somebody who's living a life and p- persevering through things, and where their faith is so demonstrable, it gives you hope that you will, you know, be able to experience some of that yourself. Um, I think everybody here has, as a purpose, has something that you were called to do. Um, I hope you feel some of that in those moments where, you know, it's more than just you. It's it's greater than what you you are up to. Um, I believe that God has prepared me in sometimes. Uh, subtle and sometimes not so subtle ways. And I am grateful to be able to be at a church and in a quartet and in a choir and in a small group that can nurture that and make it a safe place to be able to share that with other people. Um, it is a joyous thing to be able to do it. Thank you for your time and your attention this morning.